Women Making Waves. So, Linda, for the second time this week, I actually got on my bike instead of actually getting in my car. That's not, that's not too bad, is it? For me? And is this for fitness? Is it to save money on fuel? Is it for the environment? Or is it all three? If I was going to be really honest, and I'd like to think I'm doing something for the planet, and I probably am subconsciously doing it, but I am doing it for saving money. That's what I'm doing it for, mm-hmm. because I... I drive past some of the petrol stations and I cannot believe... It's a shocker, isn't it? Yeah, the prices. And they're just going up. And I hear people are doing protests, boycotts of some of the... We won't mention particular brands, but they're boycotting some of the petrol stations because the prices are just silly, really silly. And I suppose that's probably why I've decided that I'm going to get on my bike a bit more. So maybe ways, Planet Fitness Cash. There you go. Excellent. Excellent. Mm. Well, that, that's that's really good. And I think yeah. we all need to do more for the planet, don't we? We keep hearing about yeah. things on the television and we keep hearing we're kind of running out of time. And that's yeah. really, really frightening, actually. But yeah, the bills are a huge thing. And I don't know about you. We're being really quite careful in the house as well, not to turn on the radiators all over the house. We're just totally yeah. turning on the ones in the rooms that we're using. And in yeah. fact, in, in my office, because I've got screens that are heating up the place, I haven't even turned the radiator on yet. I'm just putting on a cardigan. And that's the other thing, isn't it? I've started to wear bed socks in bed, and maybe that's, I should have done that a long time ago. So I'm actually getting a really good night's sleep. Oh, really? Oh, well, we've always had a cold bedroom. You know, uh-huh. I, I have mentioned this before. We have a bedroom that I think an Eskimo would feel at home in, quite honestly. <laughs> my husband, my husband doesn't. He always says, oh, you know, you, you need you need a cold room to sleep in. And I suppose he's right to an he extent. Right. It, you know, it does he, make you absolutely. sleep better. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, uh, but there are extremes, you know, Susie. And I think we reach them sometimes. But anyway, that's another story. So... <laughs> Exactly. Maybe I, I have a hot water bottle that I keep in my ah, feet. Do you? But yeah, but in the middle of the night, ah. usually I kind of wake up sweltering because ah. the it seems to go right from the soles of your feet right the way up, you know, and then ah. you end up, you know, in a, a bit of a lather. So then I've got I find my way kicking, kicking the thing away as far as I can get it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That would probably keep me awake at night. I was having to sort of kick a water bottle. In fact, that would really irritate me. So I, I think oh, I'm oh, going to oh. keep to my bed socks. Oh, no, a hot water bottle. <laughs> Nothing can beat that, really. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But I think it's just getting used to as well. And I can't believe I'm actually saying this because 20 years ago, we we moved into a house and it was the luxury of having radiators in your home. And now, of course, they're almost... The forgotten part you don't want to put them on because they are the ones that are going to create the heat but also mm. create a big bill mm-hmm. so now you think well if we don't have the radiators on what else do we do and like you just said you put your socks on sometimes you wear a jumper mm-hmm. and actually it is quite cozy but i i can't quite seem to get one of my children to get into that and i don't know what it is but they're not really possibly because they're not paying the bills maybe that's right that's exactly it <laughs> yes yes well he's paying part of it yeah mm. yeah mm. so they're all living in different places now and they're all having to think about how much you use how yeah. when you get up in the morning when when you decide to have your dinner early part of the time or late in the evening depending on how warm the house is or where that you have where do you eat in the house that's going to be warm? That's it's right. 
It's That's a very right. interesting time, isn't it? Oh, it is. My daughter's the same. You know, they've decided in their house that they're not using the oven very much. Right. And they're using a steamer for their vegetables and, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things. And we we actually tend to use a, an air fryer. Ah, And it's yes. very good. And it's not... I always used to think an air fryer was an actual fryer. And yes, you can do chips and everything in it. But actually, there's no oil involved or anything like that. No. Mm. So it's just air. So you can actually heat up anything in it. And it's very quick. And I think it's quite cost efficient. Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. And I know a friend has done just that and she's been trying to persuade me to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I shall be hot in pursuit of finding a second-hand air fry somewhere. Mm. But it's a good idea. Or cold in pursuit, perhaps. Yes. Um, Unless you've got your bed socks on at the time, of course. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And on that note, we have... Some really quite interesting guests today, don't we, Linda? Indeed we do, indeed we do. We thought with COP27, very much in the news at the moment, that it would be great to make a feature of that, really. And uh, we've got some amazing people to talk to from the Cambridge University's Institute for Sustainability Leadership. We've got Zoe Arden, and she's going to be talking about the role of female leaders in the climate sphere. Very, very interesting woman. She really is. And after that, we are joined by these women, these female leaders in the climate sphere. And two of them are here. And that's Liv Anderson, founder of BioZerox. That's a carbon neutral cement. And she'll be talking about the role of women in construction. And we also have Sushma Shankar from Deep Planet and they've been doing really interesting things using satellite imagery and all kinds of gadgets to help farmers and vineyards in particular but any farmers actually to help get the best yield from their crops. So we are really looking forward to talking to these three women. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Sushma Shankar is the co-founder of Deep Planet, the goal of the company being to use machine learning for the benefit of the planet. They're building an artificial intelligence platform that uses satellite imagery and Internet of Things sensors to deliver insights into the growing of grapes for wine. Welcome to Women Making Waves, Sushma. Hello, Linda. Hello. (laughs) Now, your first degree was in telecoms engineering. You then did a master's in computer engineering. Why did you want to study computer engineering? What drove that? I was always interested in science and maths as a child. And, you know, coming from an Indian family, you're, you know, somewhat already built to have the inclination to these subjects. Mm. While I didn't have too many female role models when I was growing up, I did have an older brother who picked up a lot of tinkering and, you know, playing with gadgets, etc. from him. And this is what got my fascination into it. Um, and so my fascination with ones and zeros and the fact that you could make or create something new imaginative by using commands This drew me to engineering and particularly to computers. Yeah, it's a fascinating subject, actually, isn't it? So after you finished your master's, you worked for British Telecom, for BT, where you did business planning and product management. Did you find that area of the business to be quite male dominated when you were there? Actually, no. 
Um, so these areas, in fact, had more women, I thought. Uh, in fact, one of my managing directors at that time was a woman. There were more women in senior positions compared to what I've seen on the technical side of um, businesses, right? And so previous to British Telecom, I have worked in many other technical roles, again, back in the US, but this was many years ago as well, where we did a lot of R&D to develop the world's first 4G call, you know, built out a commercial product and deployed it to millions of users. And now there are more girls getting into these streams. At that time, there weren't many. However, even then, there are fewer and fewer women, you know, growing to be more senior leadership roles or even ending up with sometimes no women in senior leadership roles. So there is a big gap between girls in younger, more junior roles and women who end up, you know, in, in more senior leadership roles. Hmm. That's interesting. So, that you're is... say, so, you, so you're saying that when you finished your master's and you worked for BT, there were a lot of women in the business planning and product management, but you're saying now it's depleted or I, I think... So in these roles, specifically in business planning and product management, just more commercial, there are more women. However, if you look at technical roles within the same industry, the telecoms industry, there are more women at junior positions, but you know, not many women in senior positions. Oh, so there's right. a gap in you know, different parts of the business. Yeah, this seems to be a bit of a thing that's happening these days where women sometimes outnumber the men actually starting off when they come out of university, but just seem to kind of you lose them as the career progression goes on and seniority. It's really odd. Why do you think that might be, Sushma? I think there is a, a lack of uh, role models. First of all, if we don't see women in those positions, we don't think we can achieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's just the fact of trying to find this potential amongst women in you know more junior roles. The way we portray ourselves is different from how men would do it. Even you know, given the same experience or given the same level, it's just about how is the hiring process set up? How do we look at women versus how do we look at men? How do we identify potential in any of these candidates? They're different, right? So um, I think these are some things that need to be refined, especially in corporates and businesses as we go. Mm, There does seem to be a sort of a, a theme in some of the interviews that we have conducted that you're talking about. There is this this issue that's been going on for years and years that we don't know how to deal with women who have potential that obviously want to have maternity and come back. But it's still not solved, is it? I mean, is that quite frustrating for you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, now I'm in a position where I would love to hire more women, right? Uh, we have about 40% of the company is women right now. But I am always on the lookout of how to find the right people um, with either the technical skills or the commercial skills and them being women. And it's it's just so hard to identify for, you know, potential. I look at their CVs or I look at their LinkedIn profiles, not much pops out. Whereas you do the same thing for men and male candidates and you think, oh, wow, this seems like a good fit or maybe I should call him for an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same sure. time, when they actually come to the interview, um, it's hard to um, just get that connection immediately in terms of what they've done in their background or what their interests are and what what links that to, the, to my business, right? And so they're less confident, you know, less forthcoming in a way, uh, whereas 
men, I see like immediately they're so overconfident and come out saying, you know, I've done this, 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 which links well with what you're doing. And I think I can bring this, right? And so there's much more confidence in what they're saying, even though they may not fit all the criteria, you know, 10 listed criteria on the uh, job profile. So it's just about uh, how do we approach female candidates versus male mm. candidates? Yeah, mm. it's really interesting. So women don't seem to be able to sell themselves as well as men can sell themselves. So you set up Deep Planet while you were still working with BT, actually. What, why, why did you do that? Well, um, Deep Planet came about even before I was at BT, in fact, but it was a product at the time. I was doing my MBA program at Oxford and there was a project which was looking at how to address environmental threat and solution to address global water scarcity. Along with uh, my co-founders, Natalia, another woman, and Dave, uh, we came together at the program, at the MBA program, and we decided to you know, apply our 15 to 20 years of industry experience. We came from different industries, different sectors uh, in AI, oil and gas, and telecoms, and we thought, let's use that expertise that we've gained to do something that's good for the planet. And, you know, all the while, it was a project for a long time. We were building a, you know, a proof of concept. Uh, it was hard. We, we had to be consistent, worked hard, worked two jobs with families, uh, but got it to a point where we could go in full time into the business. And that's how, you know, we kind of picked up pace with Deep Planet after BT. And for mm-hmm. the benefit of our listeners, can you explain what Deep Planet actually do? I know I gave a very, very brief headline earlier, but can you explain what, what you do? We help farmers to cope with the effects of climate change and we want to help reverse these changes. While all um, you know, crops and agriculture has been affected by climate change, our first market has been the wine industry and the wine being said to be the canary in the coal mine for climate change the microclimate and the weather conditions that adds flavor and basically what different varieties of uh, grapes and wine is known for is also the reason why the crop is so sensitive to adverse effects from climate change. And so we're working with wine growers to help them improve quality, to improve logistics by understanding when and where to harvest, and also to improve the sustainability of their crop by understanding you know, when a disease could potentially impact or how much fertilizer to apply, how many, you know, what's the nutrient level in the soil and the plants and how much carbon is present in the soil. So this can be improved over the long term. It's interesting you say about uh, vineyards. I mean, what was the reception when you approached vineyard owners initially? Were they very keen? Do they have their worries about it? Do they think things could change for the better if you came along and helped them? I think climate change has kind of brought the reality of things for everyone, right? And more so for farmers. Wine is one such case. Unfortunately for them, it's the wine growers are seeing the impact on the crop right now and it's become a profitability issue. And they want to they want to sustain and they I think they understand that you know, they basically have to use all the tools out there mm. if they have to survive. Um, and so that's really, you know, when we went to growers in, for example, in France or, you know, in the UK actually has benefited from this. But if we spoke to uh, growers in France, they understand that, you know, all this heat, frost and adverse changes in weather or extreme weather is hurting them so much that they just need to do something different from what they've been doing for generations. And so the adoption rates have been increasing um, significantly over time. Mm, that's great. 
Yeah, it is. And you're using lots of tech in order to help with this, like satellites and the Internet of Things. What kind of technology are you actually using out there in the fields and, and in, the, in the grapevines? We use satellite imagery predominantly from the European Space Agency. We use this data along with a lot of ground data, such as, you know, what was the yield? When did they harvest? What kind of agricultural practices did they apply in the last four or five years, along with any sensors that they have on the ground? And you mentioned Internet of Things. So basically, um, soil moisture sensors or weather stations and things like that. We integrate data from all these different sources to build machine learning or AI models. And we've trained the model such that we're able to predict different outputs, such as how much the farmer would uh, grow by the end of the season, or what would the sugar levels be in the grapes, or the acid levels be in the grapes, uh, what's the soil nutrients, and what's the soil carbon. And all of this kind of gives a whole picture to the farmer. It's all in one kind of a solution, which where the farmer can look at what's happening to the crop and be able to take actions based on these insights on a weekly basis throughout the growing season. And you mentioned vineyards. Do you work with any other kind of farmers? Yeah. Our long-term goal is to use this technology for other crops. And our mission, as you said, is to harness AI for the benefit of the planet. And we want to extend the technology to aid sustainable development goals for climate action and food security. Um, and so we're already working with, for example, potato farmers here in the UK. Uh, we're working with pastures, rangelands, and we're helping them improve soil health by monitoring soil organic carbon, nutrients, and water conditions or irrigation. Um, so better understanding these factors not only helps farmers to have a better yield now, but also lower input costs such as fertilizer, irrigation, compost, which will help in further retention of nutrients and water in the soil, which is really good in the long term. About COP27, um, what are you hoping? Do you have contacts who are going to be there representing the fields that you work in? Do you think that you're going to be uh, getting some information about what's going on at COP27? Yeah, uh, food and agriculture, as we're just speaking, essential to meet these climate goals, right, set by the Paris Agreement. And the fact that food production is linked to 35% of greenhouse gas emissions is massive. And it's it's critical that it's on the agenda and it's great that you know people are promoting it. It's important to strengthen, in, in my point of view, to strengthen the ability of the farmers to adapt to climate change through new tools or reviving old practices and regenerative agriculture and help scale these nature-based solutions. So yeah. this basically means taking more time to find out what do farmers need? What mm. are they doing now? How technology and policy reform can be better targeted to support them? It must be quite exciting, actually, that events like COP27 happen. You're so tightly involved in, in that area. It must be quite a big thing for you, actually, the, the COP27 event. It is. Um, we've also been fortunate to work with many organizations who are, you know, in a way representing us in um, in COP27, such as EIT Food, are also happy to be part of uh, CISL, um, you know, the European Space Agency, who have helped us develop this business and have been invaluable for us to grow. Yeah, so we have been fortunate to have the support of a number of organizations who are representing food and agriculture at COP27, such as EIT Food. We're also part of CISL, who've been extremely helpful in supporting and developing the business. Something that struck me, actually, when we were talking about farmers, Sushma, 
Have you ever had an instance where you've, you know, you've done all the work you've done and the farmers actually decided to change the crop that they're growing based on the data that you've given them? This is a question we often get asked, but in a different way, um, especially because of the changing you know, weather conditions with UK getting warmer, for example, people would like to understand what crops would grow better in these conditions in the next 20, 30 years. And so a lot of farmers come to us asking for this information just because of the fact that we have you know, a global database of weather conditions, soil conditions, and you know, a lot of ground crop data to say under what conditions do what crops grow well or even within wine what varieties grow well so this is a very interesting question a lot of people come to ask us for and um, this is something we can help with yes from a woman's perspective uh, you've done an incredible amount of work and you've done really really well for a younger person listening to this and obviously an activist a very young person who is really keen to improve the planet what would be your one sort of piece of advice if they they felt they felt a bit of an imposter syndrome and uh, and what would you say to them as women have always thought and it's becoming more and more apparent right that you just have to work harder and sometimes i say it's twice as hard as you know a men would do it but uh, <laughs> yeah but um, i think imposter syndrome is important like you just need to put yourself out there it works it doesn't work you just need to learn um, and that's the way I've, I've come about to where i am but also it's important to find your passion in terms of what you like doing it doesn't mm. necessarily have to be you know a green business or you know, impact driven cause but what do you really like doing in my case it was technology right and how can i use technology to do something that's good that could be a leeway sometimes we try to jump into finding a solution saying i want to do something impactful but i just don't know what to do mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of just taking small baby steps uh, put yourself out there you will learn a lot and eventually you know five years down the line you look back and you see you've connected so many dots and made so much progress and you're far away from where you thought you would be yeah yeah that's That's great advice that is really good yeah Yeah. sushma shanga thank you very much for joining us today that's been really fascinating and uh, and and good luck with deep planet it uh, (laughs) it sounds like it's doing fantastic work there thank you very much thank you thank you lovely thank you That's all we have time for today on Women Making Waves. Our thanks go to our guests, Zoe Arden, Liv Anderson and Sushma Shankar. We'd also like to thank Maeve Campbell from the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership for her help with this programme. We're always on the lookout to feature women living extraordinary lives. So please contact us if you know of someone we should be talking to. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at WomenMakingWaves. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website womenmakingwaves.co.uk where you can hear all of our interviews. 